Welcome to The Art of Significance with your host, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, university professor, gold record songwriter, and award-winning athlete, Dan Clark. Get ready for engaging discussions with some of the most influential people in the world who will impart their wisdom, stories, and inspiration on why and how to achieve the level beyond success. Now here's your host, Dan Clark. Welcome, 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 regardless of where you are on the earth. It's a good day, great day to be alive. It's a proud moment to, uh, to join you again on this Influencers channel and to remind you that it is also on, obviously on available on demand as a podcast. And my personal website is danclark.com in case you want to join my tribe and keep in touch for other reasons. Today's show, I uh, have one guest because he is so fascinating and will illuminate so much uh, about the fact that when you see an elite athlete competing at the highest levels, you see more than just muscle and bone going through motion. You see the intangibles that are almost impossible to measure like heart and desire and hustle which appeals and applies to every body type and every age group. U.S. Speed Skating Executive Director Ted Morris will join me in a few minutes for a discussion about Olympic sports, athletes. I want to pick his brain about the mindset and the physical preparation that goes into high performance. And he is fascinating. And because he's my guest, I thought I would set the tone for our discussion today by just bringing up the fact that in the 2002 Winter Games held here in Salt Lake City, Utah, I was privileged enough to serve on that Olympic committee. And so I witnessed firsthand the Olympic motto, Sidious Altius Fortius, which obviously means faster, higher, stronger. Through individual and coached stretching, and preparation, and inspiration, and motivation, athletes from all over the world gathered in the belief that world records were made to be broken if they simply focused on bettering their own past best personal performance. Think about that. As parents, we raised our children on simple mottos, one of which was, the only person you need to be better than is the person you were yesterday. So at some point in our lives, we've got to stop comparing ourselves with others and stop competing against others until, the operative word, until we compete against ourselves and make sure we're the very best version of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, financially, all the elements that go into making us that whole person, reminding ourselves that it's the mind, the spirit, and the body that constitute the whole soul of a man, the whole soul of a woman, the whole soul of humankind. And too many people in our world are neglecting one aspect of their lives. And so I want to talk to, obviously, the famous, the amazing Ted Morris to get his insight on what it takes to be a high-performance human being who just happens to be an Olympic champion or a an elite athlete, or the CEO of a major company. I think all the ingredients are the same. 
So before I bring Ted Morris on the air, let me tell you an inspirational story. Because I've been a professional speaker now for over 35 years and have been invited to write speeches for some of the biggest named celebrities and celebrity athletes on our planet, TED Talks for some of the big names in our world, I am always curious about the process that I use to help these superstars write their speeches. And it always begins with about a five-hour interview of me simply asking them provocative questions, random questions that have no sequential order or meaning to one, one to another, just random questions about everything I can possibly think about. And then we record that five-hour interview and send it into a special app, and in 24 hours, we receive a transcribed, typed document of the entire interview. And then what we do is we go in and we isolate and segregate every single story one at a time because every one of these stories that this person has shared on tape in my interview has a hello and a goodbye. It has a beginning and an end. And we segregate and isolate that one story. And then we ask ourselves, what are the life lessons that we learn from that particular story? And that's how we become a speaker. We share a story, a personal signature story, something that happened to us. And then we extract from that story the life lessons that can be shared with anyone in any age, in any industry, in any endeavor, in any situation, which should inspire that person to take themselves to the next level. Remember, as a coach, you cannot coach results. You can only coach behavior. As a parent, you cannot coach your children's results. You can only coach or influence their behavior. And behavior is always predicated on our attitude. When your attitude's right, your abilities will always catch up. But at the same time, we must remember that in order for us to take ourselves to the next level, we all need a coach. Elite athletes have a coach. Superstar singers and musicians always have a teacher, a coach. And in our personal lives, we need coaches. The shameful thing is that when our relationships start going south, We always wait until our relationships are hanging by a thread or completely destroyed before we pick up a book to read about how to make our relationships everything that they need to be. We always seem to wait till the end before we go to a doctor. And in the the Eastern religions, they pay doctors to keep them from getting sick. Here in the West, we wait till we get sick and then plead and pray that we'll find the right doctor to help us heal from our sickness. We've got to pass backwards. Let's just figure out a way to isolate the significance of finding the right coach, the right mentor, someone who can take us from where we are to where we want to be. This story of a U.S. celebrity Olympic champion speed skater has all of the elements included in it that I've been talking about at the beginning of the show. One such athlete's story illuminates the constant and direct interdependent connection between what I call perseverance, which is the second highest law of the universe in my book, The Art of Significance, Achieving the Level Beyond Success. I've identified the 12 highest universal laws of life-changing leadership that never change. They're irrefutable laws. Law number one is obedience, and all other laws are predicated and governed by, predicated on it and, predic- and governed by it. But the second highest law of the universe is perseverance. And in my book, I isolate the word patience as the success principle and I replace it with 
the principle or the law, excuse me, of significance, which we call perseverance. Think about it. Patience allows us to never begin. Patience allows us to mindlessly wait our turn, believing that this is the hand I've been dealt, this is the cross I must bear, and there's nothing I can do about it. It was meant to be. No, no, no. Perseverance is patience with a purpose. So we proactively take our turn instead of waiting our turn. We proactively take our turn because we know why we should. And when we take our turn, the perseverance leads us to stretching, not changing, but stretching ourselves, knowing that all strengthening occurs in the area past the point of discomfort. And the only way for us to get to that point past the point of discomfort where the stretching and the growing begins and continues is if we have a coach, someone that can take us from where we are to where we want to be. This is the powerful story of how that that process works, coach and student, coach and athlete. Uh, let's focus in on the amazing Dan Jansen. The year was 1987 when U.S. speed skater Dan Jansen's sister Jane, who was also a speed skater, was diagnosed with leukemia. Inspired by a relentless battle to live, Dan Jansen won three gold medals at the World Championships held in Milwaukee just two weeks before the 1988 Calgary Olympic Games. But seven hours before the biggest race of his career, Dan received word that his sweet sister had just passed away. Despite his inconceivable sorrow, he resolved he would win one for Jane. He would win the gold medal for Jane, determined to live up to everyone's expectations and capture the gold. Lining up for the 500-meter sprint against Japan's Yashushi Kuroiwa, I practiced before I came on the air, Yasushi Kuroiwa, Kuroiwa. Jansen adjusted the hood on his sleek racing suit and took a deep breath. Clearly, his body was there, but not his mind or his heart. Of course, Jansen busted out of the starting blocks, but in the first turn, suddenly and shockingly fell and skidded violently into the padded wall. A heartbreaking scene of agony. I remember it. With the world watching, Jansen slowly rose from the ice and skated toward the side of the oval. Feeling he had let his sister down, Dan buried his face in his hands. In the following 1,000-meter race, Jansen fell again. In 1992 at Albertville, France, he placed fourth in the 500-meter and an embarrassing 26th in the 1,000-meter. Despite these disappointments, Jansen continued to persevere and stretch himself in his training, retaining his place on the U.S. Olympic team for the 1994 Games. In the 500-meter race, he slipped momentarily, avoiding a fall, but losing enough time to wind up in eighth place. In the 1,000-meter race, Jansen's last Olympic event and his last race ever, Jansen finally won a gold medal establishing a world record time of one minute, 12.43 seconds. Here's the kicker. Here's where we understand the significance of finding a coach whom we trust and admire and believe in who can take us to the next level. Jansen's coach, Jim Lohr, revealed that the reason Dan was finally able to win that elusive gold medal 
was that he had developed an emotional focus on the moment. Coach Jim convinced Dan that thinking about winning for his sister or dwelling on the fact that it was his last place, excuse me, his last race and final opportunity to win an Olympic medal was counterproductive and would drain his energy and detract from his focus. All Dan Jansen needed to do was to focus his stretch on right now and on each subsequent right now, needing to persevere only one moment at a time. Are you with me? Technically, it was one foot in front of the other. Mentally, it was to remain calm and maintain feelings of gratitude for all the years the sport had given him. So think about it. Persevering so we can stretch ourselves to our ultimate capacity of potential as human beings becomes simple, although not easy. It becomes simple when we block out all distractions, avoid the paralysis of analysis of thinking too much, and focus all our concentrated energy and emotion on the stretching task at hand. There's no better sport in all of the world, not just an Olympic event, but There's no better sport on the planet that can help us understand the significance of focusing in on one step, one skate, one motion, one minute at a time. And I believe that as we pick the brain of this amazing executive director, Ted Morris, who now joins me for our discussion about Olympic sports and athletes and high performance, I cannot wait to hear his take on what it takes to be an Olympic champion, and as we backpedal from that, what it takes to be an uh, Olympic-level human being first who just happens to put on some speed skates. So I haven't uh, told you a whole lot about Ted Morris's background. I really want to pick his brain and just find out about who he is, where he learned about identifying uh, superstar athletes, and how he found himself to be the executive director of the U.S. speed skating uh, world, if you will, and I'm proud to say that he lives right here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and has become one of the uh, more famous, more well-known, more looked-up-to individuals in our community. Mr. Morris, your majesty, are you there, Ted? I am, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't know if you heard me tell the story of Dan Jansen. I was fascinated by his uh, his entire career and had the privilege of helping him write his motivational speech that he started delivering after he won the gold. So it's interesting to have you on my program. It's an honor. Everything I say about you is true. Let's just start right from the beginning. Where did you grow up? And uh, tell me about your love of sports. How did you end up being in such a, a in such an amazing place on the Olympic? Uh, as an executive director on one of the Olympic events? Well, I grew up on the East Coast. I'm a, a New Yorker. Um, I'll, uh, I haven't, I've been in Utah now for 20 years, but uh, I'll always be a New Yorker. And um, I grew up, I was a swimmer and a water polo player, uh, in addition to doing a lot of other sports, but those are my focus sports and um, that led me to swim and play water polo division one at the University of Richmond and um, graduated from the Richmond and uh, got into the advertising business in New York 
and uh, luckily through the advertising business was always very close to uh, to sport um, since it's such an important piece of of uh, the advertising business has been for a long time and um, that was my my general path that after seven years of the advertising agency I started um, working in the um, with the with the Olympics representing clients, uh, most specifically Visa, and their relationship, long-standing relationship in the Olympic movement. And I was working on their behalf to negotiate television contracts with um, uh, CBS at that time, who was the Olympic network. And one thing led to another, and I got connected. I did a deal with the U.S. Speed, uh, uh, US ski team and um, uh, t- convinced them to, to hire me. And went to work for them in uh, 1998, and um, that's uh, the the path that eventually brought me here to uh, to speed skating, where I've been since 2013. So, did you grow up in upstate New York? Were you always uh, aware of Lake Placid and all of the Olympic activities going up there, or were you just down in Virginia saying, "I'm going to do my thing"? Well, I grew up in I grew up in Westchester County, so right outside of uh, New York City. Absolutely. But was lucky enough to lucky enough to go up and visit Lake Placid. Have you been to Lake Placid before? I have, yeah, and I've spoken to the Olympic uh, athletes up there a few times. Yeah, that's a beautiful place. What a great, great, great place. Whoa, it, it's amazing. But what what always blows me away is you drive down that windy road coming into Lake Placid, and you kind of say. They really held an Olympic Games here. Exactly, you, you can't yeah. believe it, right? Yeah, but it reminds me. Of, it reminds us of, of one of those European villages where you come over the mountain and you're like, "Okay, this is a 1920 bobsled run," but I think it's going to work. You know? <laughs> exactly. But I always, uh, yeah, I'm always blown away by where did everybody stay. You look at yeah. where the Olympics are now, and the you know Russia was a fifty-five billion dollar operation, and you're driving to Lake Placid, and you know there are two hotels in the whole town. Exactly, and the Olympic uh, hockey rink where the Miracle on Ice took place in yeah. 1980. That just cracks me up. It's such a small little venue. My gosh, uh, on a high school <laughs> campus. You've got it right. So now I'm fascinated right, by right your background. It, right next to it is the Olympic Oval, where. Um, yep. You know, and I, I loved your story about Dan Jansen, but we've been lucky enough in speed skating to have um, some of the most iconic Olympians of all time. And, uh, and of course, Lake Placid, where um, another Utah resident Eric, now, Eric Hyden, uh, won his five gold medals. And in, in my opinion, the greatest Olympic feat of all time, when you consider that he won the shortest distance, the 500, all the way to the 10,000 meter. Just no one could ever do anything like that ever again. Exactly. And to, uh, yeah, he's he's let a few of my friends come into town and do these VIP bicycle rides, and he's at the front of the pack every time. I remember when he came back and started racing for 7-Eleven professionally. Do you remember those days? He was... He's still one of my iconic heroes. I wrote about him in my very first book published in 1983. Oh, yeah. He's, wow. uh, he's, he's an amazing great. human being. But so I'm fascinated by your background, Ted. So you were a swimmer. So the individual sport of swimming, the individual sport of speed skating, and then the individual prowess necessary to play water polo at a Division One level and then part be part of that team – that you're you're a complex guy, that, but the perfect 
source to ask you about what you think it takes to be an elite athlete because you're the Michael Phelps mindset. You've got to be the best you can possibly be, and then your best pass, your best performance contributes to the total aggregate score of the team. But maybe you have an insight, having been a swimmer, having focused in on an individual sport. Maybe that's the connection, the subliminal connection that you had to draw to speed skating. What do you? What have you found in your life that are are identifiers? that makes someone an elite athlete, someone who steps out of the crowd as an individual sport athlete, like speed skating, like swimming? Well, I think you hit on it when you were talking about um, uh, Dan Jansen and his experience going into um, 1994 with, uh, and really into the 1,000 meter um, with so much disappointment after being um, the favorite so many times. And his um, his mental coach um, really trying to get Dan to quiet the mind and and focus on you know, one foot or one one uh, blade in in front of the other blade and um, knocking out all the other noise and to me that's what is so um, unique about really special athletes and. I think the challenge is it's tough to teach. You're you're either born with it or or you're not. And we spend a lot of time trying to um, you know have our athletes embrace that philosophy and bring it to uh, the biggest competitions. But it is is difficult. And I've had the the privilege to spend a lot of time with um, Eric Hyden. And uh, and I love to pick his brain because he excelled in so many different areas. Of course, the gold medals and then becoming one of the top orthopedic surgeons in the in probably the world, definitely the country, and then also becoming this great cyclist. And uh, I was asking one time uh, about um, if he played golf, and he said. Yeah, I played for a little bit, but I don't play much anymore. And I said, "Well, did, were you any good?" He goes, "Yeah, I got down to you know mid single digit handicap when I was out in California." And he told me about that he was invited to play in one of the celebrity golf tournaments out in Lake Tahoe um, that is broadcast on NBC, and a lot of the great athletes go to and compete in. And it's, it's a major tournament with a gallery, and he went to it, and it was his first tournament ever. And he said, after nine holes, he was one under par and like, you know, on the top three in the leaderboard. And he ended up, you know, not winning, but I was so blown away. And I asked him, I said, well, Eric, I mean, here you come into the sport, you're just learning it. And all of a sudden you're playing in front of a gallery. How were you able to calm your heart rate down <laughs> and go up there and perform at such a high level? And he said, you know, I just, I practiced I knew that if I went out and executed what I practiced, that everything else would take care of itself. Wow. And that to me, that was such a phenomenal philosophy and one I wish I could embrace. And I think so many of us wish we could embrace, but it's certain athletes like Eric Hyden, like Michael Jordan, uh, Bonnie Blair in our sport, Apollo Ono yeah. in our sport that are able to really um, put that practice to work. Okay, so when you say practice, 
Uh, let's bring up a horrible story of Bonnie Blair here in our own Salt Lake City Olympics when the, the rumor I heard was that she went out and ate something she'd never eaten before and shows up for the for the biggest race of her life with like food poisoning. Do you remember that story? <laughs> I don't. I don't think she wasn't in. I don't think that was Salt Lake though, because she was dumb by then. But maybe in oh, uh, maybe the one right before that. Then, yeah, I just remember her being in town and anyway practicing in other words getting into a routine finding a routine and then sticking to, to that routine that does that include eating does that include sleeping does that include giving up your social life what do you have to do to be one of these elite athletes you brought up the word practice uh, apparently these folks practiced more hours more focused hours than their competition and it paid off when it finally became game time when it came you know game is on when it's the performance What's your what's your opinion about practice and do you get into a routine? How can this conversation help those who are not Olympic speed skaters but can teach us what how significant important significantly important it is for us to get a routine, find a routine and then stick to that routine? Yeah, I mean in, incredibly important and as you get to um the 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 bigger event, the more important that becomes. Um again, blocking out uh those distractions and sticking to that routine so that your physical and mental state is uh, the same that it would be uh, going to practice every single day. And if you, you know, we, we obviously are, are athletes, um, their, their bodies are their temples and um, the advancements of uh, uh, sports science um, have really changed the way um, elite level sport, um, athletes uh, participate on um, a daily basis. We're seeing it in you know baseball players and basketball players and football players are playing longer and longer. Uh, Tom Brady being a great example uh, of that. Um, but I think that that routine uh, is so critical. And if you have that routine and you have a coach that is convinced you that you're on the path to success and you stick to that plan and hit all the markers that are um, on that plan, then you go to the line in that big competition with the confidence that you have done everything right to put you in a position to get on the podium uh, in the biggest event possible. And I think that's the... Um, you know, the only difference you see between those athletes that succeed and don't succeed, the ones that don't succeed get to that line and they're not sure that they've put in the work necessary to get themselves on the podium. And just that little bit of doubt is, um, you know, is, is where the failure happens. Wow. So profound. We need to take a quick commercial break, Ted. Our, our, our guest is the U.S. Speed Skating Executive Director, Ted Morris, uh, who's over all of the speed skating. And I want to pick your brain. I'm going to give you a second as we go to commercial break here, Ted, to think about a couple of inspirational stories. What I'm a fan of, I've coached high school football for six years. I played football for 13 years until I was yeah. paralyzed in, a, in, a, in, a, in an accident, but I always wanted to, to, to make the biggest trophy, the biggest award of the week for the practice player of the week, the guy who shows up, who just loves to practice, who just loves the game, who just loves to put in the work. And I want to 
you know, plant that seed and see if you can come up with one story of someone that just kept coming to the Oval that was just relentless and then someone who, uh, just an inspirational story from an Olympic game or something that you can share with us that will inspire us to put in the work, to practice, like you said, to get that righteous routine so that no matter what happens, we can eliminate those distractions, just like my story about Dan Jansen at the beginning. He was able to finally eliminate the distractions and focus it on, you know, one moment at a time. So, Dan Clark, it's voiceamerica.com. It's Voice America Radio Network Influencers Channel. Again, my my amazing guest is U.S. Speed Skating Executive Director Ted Morris. Don't go anywhere Gather your friends and coworkers uh, around your computer when we come back so you can hear the inspirational stories and wisdom of this man. We'll be back in a minute. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Yeah, hey, we're back with our U.S. Speed Skating Executive Director, Ted Morris. He's the Olympic U.S. Speed Skating Executive Director. And off the air, we were talking a little bit about a couple of events coming up. And I mentioned it to Ted that... If you, ladies and gentlemen, have never seen a speed skating event live from the Oval, that is worth going to. You cannot do it justice by describing it or even watching it on TV. The atmosphere is electric. These superstar, highly trained, highly practiced athletes hop on this track. And and it's like roller derby meets NASCAR meets meets with blades on their feet, with knives on their feet, like you said, Ted. Let's just describe these two events coming up are the World Cup events held right here in, at the Oval in Salt Lake City, Utah. Talk a little bit about them. Give us the dates 
and you know, give us your 30-second marketing, advertising, sales pitch here, brother, so that we can all buy tickets and support you. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, we, um, the first event is the Short Track uh, World Cup, and that's uh, November 10th and 11th, Saturday and Sunday in the afternoon. I think both sessions will start around uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. And um, for those of you that aren't as familiar with the, the sport, this is, uh, you're probably familiar with Apollo Ono. And uh, this is what he did so well for the USA for a very long time, winning a total of uh, eight Olympic medals during uh, his his uh, three Olympic performances. And uh, it is incredible to see these athletes do what they're doing. They're essentially going around a hockey rink in speeds of about eight to nine seconds per lap. So think about that. That's how fast they're going. And at the same time, they're not only going that fast, but they're passing each other along the way, sometimes unsuccessfully, and uh, which could lead to some crashes, um, which always makes things uh, more fun. But uh, we would love for the people in the in the uh, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona areas to come out and see this uh, this great action. You can uh, uh, find tickets through usbskating.org or through uh, the Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation.org. Uh, either one of those websites will get you to um, tickets, and we'd love to have you come out. And then if you can't make that, or if you want to add to your list, we have the Long Track World Cup, which will be March 8th through 10th at the end of the season, and that's the final World Cup of the season. And the athletes from around the world love coming to Utah because we have the fastest ice on earth because of the altitude that we're at, um, the air being thin. Um, this is where the majority of world records are held is at the Utah Olympic Oval. So you're going to see uh, some of the fastest skaters uh, setting some world records here in March if you want to come out and, and see the Long Track World Cup. And that's March 8th through 10th, and you can get tickets the same way. That's amazing. Okay, so you led into, you're the best interview I've ever had, my friend. You just kind of ask the next question yourself. Okay, so the, the, the Olympic motto is Sidious, Altius, Fortius, faster, higher, stronger. These athletes actually believe that they can break the new or the existing, they can set a new world's record. How, how can someone think like that? What, what goes into to training someone, not just physically, a lot of people can put in the thousands of hours, the outliers, the 10,000 hours of practice that we've all read about. Most people, if they have the right amount of discipline and the right coach, can put in the 10,000 hours mentally, uh, physically. I want you to talk to us about the heart. I want you to talk to us about the mental toughness the faster, higher, stronger, the Sidious Altius Fortius. You're around that where these people just think like that naturally or normally. It's the norm. But when you go out into the real world, you realize most people don't think like Olympic champions think. So teach us. Can you teach someone that? What did these people have to do to get their mind so they really believe they can break the world's records? In other words, in our lay, well, I think- in our, in our lay language... We always talk about limiting beliefs, Ted. Everybody has limiting beliefs in their lives. How do these these athletes remove their limiting beliefs and actually believe that it's their turn to hold the record? Well, I think I think one big part of it is um, coming to work every day with 
uh, your your eyes set on the big prize. We had um, uh, Joey Cheek, another great um, uh, Olympic champion, three Olympic medals for us, one in 2002 and 2002 and 2006. And he was a rising athlete in 2002 uh, had never been on a uh, international podium in his career. And then uh, here in Salt Lake City, under the brightest of lights, stepped up and won a bronze medal in the 500 meter. And he talks about that season and his preparation. Uh, and he, and he, something that really resonated with me was his uh, mental position that Every day was the Olympics. You have to attack every single day like it's the most important day. There are no days off. You might wake up and you might feel like crap and your body may ache and you might have a head cold and the last thing you feel like doing is coming down and putting in four hours of work. But you got to do it. You got to get up off that couch. You got to get in that car. You got to drive the oval and you got to go to work. And you got to do that every single day. And every minute you don't do that, you have to understand that your competition is doing that. And you're losing in that quest for that Olympic gold medal or, or world record. And that's something that really resonated with me. So what you're saying, Ted... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying there's no practice. It's all play. That there's no practice speed. There's only game speed. That every day you're like, okay, game on. Let's go for it right now. That's what you're saying. Every single day. You don't just take it half speed. You're like, okay, here we go. No going through the motions. You might not not have to be going at top speed every day because that's not what your coach wants, but you better be attacking everything that's laid out in that game plan for you. Wow. And we need to apply that in our families. We need to apply that in our streets, our communities, our neighborhoods, our work. That's awesome. Okay, so I planted the seeds. Absolutely. We've had time to think about some inspirational stories. You know, they're still my favorite story is the one I shared at the beginning with Dan Jansen because he was always the world champion. He was always the favorite, and he just kept falling. And like you, you kind of briefly said, when you when you see how violent some of those crashes are into the wall, especially on the start, you, you know, you're like, how in the world do you even want to get back up and go again? And yet he kept doing it and kept doing it, and finally it paid off because he he got focused. So. Teach us, man. I don't even want to interrupt. Just think back on some on some Olympic athletes, some folks that you've been exposed to, maybe a young man or a young woman who came into the program and they worked harder than anyone and, and, and it paid off. How, how early on did you meet Apollo? I met him um, after his, his career because I just I came to speak. He retired after 2010, but I got to uh, know him when I took this job in, um, toward the end of 2013. And um, yeah, what a incredibly, incredibly impressive uh, young man he is. And he's someone who has taken that same um, aggressive attitude that he brought to the ice, to uh, life and his professional career. And he is uh, involved at a very top level in two or three different companies that are all successful. And um, I always say about Apollo, I think that he could 
run for you know Congress or or the Senate either here in his home state of Washington or California and probably win in any one of those three states because he is such a charismatic personality, uh, someone that you meet, he looks you in the eye, he's always got time for everybody, um, and uh, and he's also just um, incredibly perceptive. Um, he, he can um, look at uh, very complicated um, problems and, and simplify them uh, very quickly. So he is... Uh, he is a special human being, and we're we're lucky that he uh, has came from from our sport, as as we talked about uh, just moments ago. How many great Olympians have come out of uh, uh, speed skating? And there certainly are a ton of uh, fantastic Olympic memories that that I have. Um, I've been lucky enough to be involved in the movement for a long time. One that resonates with me, not necessarily from speed skating, but. I was here uh, for the 2002 Olympics, and uh, you know, after um, the, the travesty of 9/11 and the, the impact that had on um, Utah's preparation for the games, I think I saw in the paper yesterday there was that at one point um, the Salt Lake Olympic Committee was considering not allowing any spectators at the Olympics. I read that, and I think that was in the Tribune. Um, yesterday, which I, I thought was um, really interesting, that it was that their perception was that dire, but um, it turned out to be uh, one of the most uplifting, uh, phenomenal Olympics of um, of all time, and the crowds were great. Um, obviously, the energy coming out of um, of nine eleven was very positive, and the world coming together um, to celebrate celebrate through sport. And of course, our speed skating zone, Derek Para, um, led the, um, the the U.S. team in um, to uh, Rice-Eccles Stadium uh, for the opening ceremonies. But the the one moment that stands out to me was I was lucky enough to be up at the men's halfpipe in Park City, um, and at the top of the halfpipe uh, with a packed house of about twelve thousand people, and um, got to watch. Ross Powers, Danny Cass, and J.J. Thomas sweep the podium uh, right. in the men's halfpipe, which will always stand out to me as um, a very, very special moment at a very special point in the history of the Olympics and the history of this country. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> and back that, to the practice. And the yeah, one, keep going. Another one I just wanted to share was uh, more recently from the 2018 Olympics and in speed skating. And um, we went uh, into the games with um, some big expectations, especially on the, on the women's side. We had Heather Richardson, Richardson Bergsma, who um, the year before had won three world championship medals. Um, and we had Brittany Bowe, um, who was a multiple world championship medalist as well. Um, but Brittany had um, uh, suffered a concussion um, about a year and a half before um, the 2018 Olympic Games, but um, had a very difficult time getting back to full strength, both mentally and physically, because of that concussion. And uh, so we went into the Games um, with, uh, with those two athletes, but questions around both of them, Brittany coming back, from the health issues, and then um, Heather 
she just hadn't had a very good 2017-18 season despite her success at the World Championships the year before. And um, through the first three events, which they were all medal contenders, um, Brittany had two fourths and a fifth, and uh, Heather had, um, I think, two eighths and a and a, a twelfth or something like that. So missing the podium, these two girls, two of the two of the greatest female speed skaters um, that certainly America has ever produced and and really the world has ever produced, but uh, because of circumstances, things just weren't weren't working out um, at the Olympic Games. And um, we went into the women's team pursuit, which is an event where the three ladies race together. Um, three ladies race together against the clock, and they do six laps. And it's the third skater who finishes in the group. That's when the clock stops on that time. And the eight top teams in the in the world make it to the uh, Olympic Games, and we came in seated eighth, so in the last spot. And in the first round, uh, Brittany, Heather, and Mia uh, Manganello um, laid down a, a fantastic um, uh, qualifying um, time and qualified fourth to put them into the final four. Uh, and those final four then go into two semifinals, and the winners of the semifinals go to the finals. So we qualified as one of the four teams, which was a bit of a surprise considering we had come in seated eighth. And Brittany was still, you know, fighting, uh, being fully recovered and, and 100% physically um, from, uh, from her concussion. And so in the semifinals, we realized we were going up against um, the Dutch team, which was one of the top two teams and a, a superpower. And that... Uh, we went in and we brought, we, you can actually have four skaters named to the team and you can uh, interchange uh, the skaters. So our fourth skater was a uh, young lady named Caroline Shoutens. And we put her in the semifinals to rest Brittany. And our goal was we knew we couldn't beat the Dutch in the semifinal, but we wanted to rest, Brit- rest Brittany, um, get ourselves into the bronze medal competition and hopefully you know, get the bronze medal. And so we put Caroline Shoutens in there, and of those uh, six laps, she led four of the laps, which is um, very hard to do. They alternate throughout the race, so the other athletes can draft off the leader. But she said, I'll do whatever I take it takes to um, help us win this medal, and if that means me leading the team for the entire race, that's what I'll do. So sure enough, we, um, we uh, lost to the Dutch and went into the bronze medal um, competition versus the Canadians and put our A team back out there with Heather, Brittany, and uh, Mia and, uh, and beat the Canadians by uh, about a quarter of a second to take the bronze medal. And having those girls, specifically Brittany and Heather, be able to get that Olympic medal that they had worked so hard for over so many years was just. Uh, one of the most gratifying experiences I've ever had uh, in in the Olympics, and uh, it it just it it does away with all the disappointment to get that that one medal. That's um, I'm just sitting here with tears. Cool. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, it's, uh, 
that's why we love to watch. That's why we pay tickets. That's yes. why we support because we can live through yeah. them and it ignites every yeah. good part of the human spirit. Thanks. That's a good story. Okay. Now I need your help. So I was an alpine ski racer for, you know, for three and a half years and there was this kid. So I did it when I was in high school and this kid was 12 years old. He, you know, we have inter, we have intermediate and we have expert B, we have expert A, and then we have the, the developmental team, which is kind of the B, the, the, the developmental team for the Olympics, you know how that goes. So yeah. I'm ski racing at the at the expert level, and there's this 12-year-old kid. So I'm 16. This 12-year-old kid was dominating. I mean, so you know how old I am. Pete Patterson, who eventually became an Olympian. Yeah, he was my contemporary and Steve Benus, all these guys. So that's who I ski raced with. Craig Gorder, all the, all the boys. And we had this kid. He's going to remain anonymous because I'm going to uh, – it just blows my mind. He dominated, Ted. He was this – he just was amazing in all three. You know, I was a downhiller and a giant slalom, you know, slalom. I, I, I hated to turn. That's not my idea of skiing. And, and <laughs> this point. guy – he was so good. Everyone knew he was going to be an Olympian. You know, Pete Patterson, he made the Olympic team. This kid was younger than us. And all of a sudden, he gets to high school and says, I'm not doing this anymore. He was burned out. So here's my key question because it appeals to parents. It appeals to coaches. When you say we've got to practice, when you say we need a routine, let's recap here. When you say you need to put in the practice hours and you have to be relentless and every day is an Olympic Games and every day is relentless, you never take a, a, a minute off. I, I agree with you. How do you sustain, how do you as a coach, as a parent, how do you help someone sustain the motivation to the point where they don't get burned out before they have their big payday? Well, to me, the number one is Make sure they're having fun. Uh, that's key. So you know, so it's like so, so. You're saying they have to want it. You can't want it for them. No, exactly. And that's where we see you know so much failure, right? Where the where the parents are too involved and you know, trying to live through through their children, and um, you know that's where you get into problems. But if you're if that athlete is coming to to work every day, coming to practice every day with a smile on their face, and their coach has a smile on their face. The coach might not always be smiling, but some of the time he or she is smiling. Um, to me, that's the key. You got to keep it fun. You got to enjoy the process, and uh, and and you know, keep the 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 quest uh, in in your frame of mind, but at the same time, have a really good time doing it win or lose okay so now you brought up another question since we have a couple of minutes left i'm letting you go all the way to the end of the show bro usually i have four four commercial breaks not on your flipping show man you're awesome so <laughs> so how do you how do you um how do you find out if you're a parent how do you find out what your passion what your child's passion would be do you just say okay you know, for the next nine weekends, I'm going to take you snow skiing. I'm going to take you ice skating. I'm going to take you, you know, snowboarding. How as a parent, when you've been around such elite athletes for so long, how would you help someone find their passion so that you can get out of the way and just encourage them to practice and make their dream come true? Well, I mean, 
my opinion, that seems to happen organically, right? I mean, I go back to, you know, you look at a, a Sean White who, um, you know, would convince his parents to drive up to Bear, uh, Bear Mountain in uh, Southern California and, you know, would just sit there and, and hike with his, with his, the much older kids and follow them and just enjoy every moment from nine in the morning to four in the afternoon. And I think that when you, when you look at um, elite athletes, especially Olympic elite athletes, um, yeah, the, the kid, they find it on their own because they're going to be relentless about it. They're going to love it so much that they're going to be pushing that parent to drive into that ice rink or drive them to that mountain. And, uh, you know, the, the parent should, in, in my mind, sit on the, on the sideline and, uh, and wait for that, that kid to um, find what they're truly passionate about. And uh, from there, it will, it will take care of itself. Okay, hot seat time. One quality that you think uh, separates uh, a, a wannabe from, from a podium, a wannabe from someone who, who rises to the elite level of whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter if it's an Olympic champion or, or someone in business, a national sales champion, an, an advertising guru. What's one quality do you think is what one quality is the most important for someone to uh, to excel and become the best version of themselves? Uh, well, it might be a little bit cliche, but the one that pops in my my head is is passion, um, being completely and utterly focused on it. Uh, you know, eighteen hours a day, and uh, you know, you probably share the same characteristic, but I often wake up in the middle of the night thinking about what I want to do the next day. And uh, I think that's what makes an elite athlete um, a great athlete. They they never stop um, focusing and being excited about what they do every single day. Wow. What a drag. I want to have you on uh, again and again, man. You get some great wisdom, brother. So uh, let me just kind of close up. Uh, this is Dan Clark, Voice America Radio Network, the Influencers Channel, and uh, we're in 21 countries, brother. We're, we're we're making a difference, trying to influence people to just think like a champion. And there's no better there's no better uh, collection of answers that I've had on my show. Thanks so much, Ted. If I may be so bold in one minute, uh, let me just tie a bow around what I think I've learned from Ted Morris in this hour show. It seems to me that what Ted has been teaching us, ladies and gentlemen, is that under pressure, you don't step up your game. You succumb to the level of your preparation, training, and in his word, passion and practice, which means pressure is not something that's naturally that's created when you question your own ability. And when you know what you can do, when you know what you've been trained to do, when you know that you've put in the time, as Ted's been teaching us, when it comes game time, when it comes time for that that race for the gold, your preparation and training just takes care of itself. It's the Eric Hyden golf story in Lake Tahoe at the tournament that I've had a chance to play in before. It's knowing that you can do it. Now all you have to do is do it. So again, Ted, what are the two events that you're inviting us to to get a taste of speed skating so we really can see the making of a champion, as I said at the beginning of the show, when you see an elite athlete, especially up close and personal on an oval, 
You see more than muscle and bone going through motion. You see heart. You see drive. You see sacrifice. You see passion. What are these two World Cup events that we can invite people to? November 10th and 11th in, uh, at the Utah Olympic Oval in uh, just south Salt Lake City. And then the Lawn Track uh, World Cup Finals March 8th through 10th. Um, and you'll see some world records if you come out and see. Actually, you'll probably see world records at both those events. So please come out oh. and join us. We'd love to have you. So my guest has been U.S. Speed Skating Executive Director Ted Morris, again, reminding you that this is a podcast on demand. Again, gather your friends, your coworkers, your children around and just listen to the amazing wisdom of Ted Morris and what he's taught us about, about high-performance life, not just high-performance sports. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate you, and I'll, I'll invite all of you back to this show next week or during the week in a podcast Until then, remember our military and your prayers. God bless America and let us support financially and emotionally the U.S. Olympic ski teams, speed skating teams, Summer Olympic game teams, everybody that that represents our amazing country. Until next week, have a great day. Thanks for being part of the show. Be sure to join Dan Clark next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time for another edition of The Art of Significance on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Remember, you too can achieve the level beyond success.